What's up everyone, Shalom Aleichem, this is your host Samuel Cross. I'm coming at you with likely a one-time episode on modern Jewish thought, and I've got quite the story for you. So let's go ahead and get right on into it. I want to start us off at the beginning of a movement. We have an Arab-Israeli critic, a Jewish Zionist, and a French scholar from where an era of post-colonial literature and philosophy will arise. Now, many of you are probably thinking, I'm talking about a group with multiple people, but this is only one man, Albert Mami. Born in Lahara, the Tunisian Jewish ghetto, to a saddlesmith and an illiterate mother, in the post-colonial climate following World War II, Mami will rise to fame as a recognized autobiographer and an essayist challenging the modern understanding of identity with absolutely beautiful pieces, including The Pillar of Salt and The Scorpion. He will go on to receive the famed Pomegranate Award and the Fenian Prize before he passed away recently in 2020. But what did this man you've never heard of actually do? He wrote about his identity, I know, crazy, an author of writing about his life, insane. But that's just it. While many people read his books and treat them as autobiographical, a growing school of thought pioneered by Leo Brosgol has tossed this notion aside. Why? Because Mummy's works all serve to push a message about human interaction in the post-colonial world. Be it his essay, The Colonizer and the Colonized, or his novel, The Pillar of Salt. Discussing issues including Zionism and racism, Memi wrote with the purpose behind his language, to inspire debate and conversation around these issues. If he were to only write about his life, and only write about his own personal experience, this conversation would be lost, as the debate would be about why he made a particular choice or what he was thinking in the moment, rather than the literary criticism of why he chose a particular phrase or established a particular event in the narrative. So why do so many perceive this as autobiographical? Because Mami is the personification of these topics. He was equally a French scholar and a colonized Tunisian. He was both an Arab and a Jew, a Zionist and an anti-colonialist. When asked about his writing, he says he writes about what he knows. He understands the conflicting identities and imbues them into his characters, giving them such a strong semblance of life that many readers will confuse them for Mami himself. He does this so well that his second book fails, because in his mind the readers have failed to separate the narrator and the author, even when the two contradict one another. So let's backtrack to his very first book, arguably his most widely recognized novel, The Pillar of Salt. And he comes out swinging. Of the mind of Albert Mami, rises Alexandre Mordechai ben Ilyosh, The Perfect Storm. Alexandre the European, Mordechai the Jew, ben Ilyosh the Berber. Three supposedly contradicting identities within one narrator, where he balances these identities facing conflict and discrimination for his cultures. But why does this matter? What Memi does is show you can accept your identities, even 
when they appear to contradict each other. He takes away the binary nature of identity and allows you to be yourself. Additionally, Memmi's work is one of the first pieces of North African literature to gain popularity amongst the Western world, highlighting these identities, which were highly relevant at the time, giving perspective to the Israel debate and the narrative of a colonized person. He also takes on the issue of race, understanding it comes with the acceptance of identity and post-colonialism. In his work Racism, he outlines seven different rules. His first rule, everyone, or nearly everyone, is an unconscious racist or a semi-conscious one, or even a fully conscious one. That this extends to all people. Be you in the majority or in the minority, you will always find someone you can other, someone you can discriminate against. There is a, always someone there. And this is what he calls the pyramid of tyrants. The second rule. Racism is one of the most widespread attitudes in the world. Because it happens everywhere. Everyone witnesses someone who is different, be it because of the color of their skin, a difference in the culture, or just general disagreements. It doesn't matter if you're in India or Europe or Africa, everyone sees racism. Everyone experiences racism. Rule three. Racism emerges not only of a drive for supremacy, but also as the reaction to fear and anxiety aroused by differentness. This is the effect of the other. We fear what we don't know. Xenophobia, racism, anti-Semitism. We do not understand these other cultures. We do not understand these other races. We don't get why they do what they do, why they act the way they do. So we fear them. And out of that fear causes a drive for supremacy. If they are different, we must be better. And thus, we subjugate. And out of that comes systemic racism. Rule four. Guilt serves as one of the dynamic forces in the racist mechanism, whereby the victim is blamed for the crimes of the racist. It is very hard to accept that what you are doing is inherently wrong. And this is especially prevalent today. Racism hasn't gone away. Systemic racism makes it easy to blame the ones persecuted. They didn't work hard enough. They should have done better. We don't want to accept that we have put a system in place that benefits certain people over others. And because we won't accept that, it must be someone else's fault. Because clearly there's a pattern. Clearly white people are doing better than black people in the American economy. That's just a fact. So why is that? And many white supremacists will say, it's because African Americans aren't working hard enough. It's because African Americans are lazy. And that is the racism caused by guilt. Rule five, racism is a psychosocial fact because it is an institutionalized fact. 
It is imbued within our society and we cannot escape it. In order to properly escape it, we must break down our society and we have to rewrite it. And that will make people uncomfortable. But the problem is when society is built, raising one group of people above the others, we become enthralled with this idea with this social structure that allows us to internalize the concept that we are better when we aren't. Rule six, the oppressed are not immune to a racist discourse. Everyone can be racist. That's rule one. Meme depicts a pyramid. At the top are the top of society, the 1%, the white, wealthy, capitalist business owners. And below them, you have everyone else, the impoverished, the Jew, the African-American. And even within those groups, you find even more. In Mummy's example, he was a poor Jew within the category of a Jew which was underneath the Muslim, which was underneath the wealthy Muslims. And you will always look for someone lower than yourself. And of note, rule seven, the choice of stigmatized subjects is never random. No one chooses to invest emotional energy for the purpose of hate. There is some reason that drives this mentality. The likelihood is, as the product of colonialism, they want something you have. The British wanted the spices from the Indians. So they subjugated the Indian people, treated the Indian people as if they were lesser so that they could get the spice. They wanted to colonize the new world and they needed a labor force. So they brought in slaves from Africa. They enslaved the native population of the new world, the indigenous people. If they didn't need a workforce, Memi believes they would have been ignored. They would have been left alone. If they didn't want the land, they would have left the land untouched and thus left the people alone. But that's not the case. But the problem is when they no longer have a use for them, when they no longer care, they can take even more excessive actions. Memi argues in the case of the Native American that if the Europeans did not need a workforce, but only wanted the land, they would have slaughtered the native population beyond what we already saw. They would have wiped them from extinction, which I understand they did already to a degree, but Memi fears the entire native culture would cease to exist because there would be nothing morally stopping the European racism from believing 
that due to their right to the land, they could wipe out entire peoples. I know this is a difficult conversation to have. But these rules, they still pertain to the modern state of race and address many issues that we are not willing to face. We don't want to acknowledge that we are all likely racist to some degree, and even if we're persecuted, we will pass on the same behaviors to someone lower in the pyramid of the tyrants. We will always find someone different who we will consider beneath us and inferior to us and inflict upon them what our tyrant has inflicted upon us. And Memi accepts this. Memi internalizes this. But despite this, Memi still accepts his identity. While telling stories from his experience in a Nazi work camp, the beating he endured as a child from the Christian boys, the fear his family expressed, living in Lahara expecting pogroms caused by the local Muslims, he never turns away from himself. He never hides what society considers less desirable about his identity. Memi was and will die a Jew, an Arab, a secularist, a Zionist, a leftist, a writer, a philosopher. He was all of this and so much more. And no matter what colonialist there was, no matter what oppressor there was, no matter who the tyrant was, there was no one in his life, absolutely no one, who could imbue enough fear into him to tell him otherwise. That's our show. If you liked this episode, check out some of my other classmates' podcasts. I'd recommend Stuart Tuck's episode on Baruch Spinoza, O'Connor Stevens' episode on Lessing, and his work Nathan the Wise. Two very great examples of Jewish thinkers. You can also learn more about Albert Mami with the new Albert Mami Reader, a work written by my professor, and has a lot of knowledge on the topic. Or you can also get Leah Broskow's Against Biography, which I referenced in my own podcast, which takes a more literary approach uh, to Mami's work. Anyway, thanks for listening, and have a great rest of the day.